My text this morning is uh, from Mark chapter 16, verse 19. And in conjunction with that, also Luke 24, 50 to 51. But I just want to read Mark 16. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And it's just a verse in Luke, it says a little bit more. And in uh, Acts chapter 1, it says a little bit more about that. But it's just so amazing what Jesus Christ has done, what he is doing today. And we need to be aware of that. The hope of the church is Christ himself. That's the hope of the church. Without Christ, there is no hope. So the basic question, where is Jesus? The answer here to this question enables us to praise Jesus Christ because of what we know. For he is now gladly positioned in the centre of God's eternal plan. That's where he is. He went as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and he blessed them and it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and it was carried up into heaven that just that that verse just amazes me he lifted up his hands and he blessed them god does us good all through his ministry not just on the cross but even after the cross he's still doing his people good that's just the way he is and while he blessed them, I, 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 can, I can imagine the picture because it says in Acts chapter 1 that he part, left, left them. So I can imagine Jesus standing there with his hands outstretched, blessing the people while he's going up. That must have been a sight. That must have been a sight. You know, because... Wow, he came, born of a Virgin Mary. He was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father. And now, while he's standing there blessing them, all of a sudden his feet, you know, leave the earth and he starts to rise, still blessing the people. That's the God that we serve. Just absolutely amazing and he was carried up into heaven in acts 1 9 to 11 the scribes received up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of god it is delightful for us as christians to see the church today and what's happening in the church today i i see it all over the place we just went to st helens the other day and uh, they had been praying for a cleaner, and you might think, well, that's not such a big deal. Well, it is, if you hear the whole story. The deal was, they'd been praying for a cleaner, and they couldn't get one. Everybody in the congregation, they either had work, or they were busy doing something else, and they couldn't find a cleaner. And somehow, this young girl came into their midst, and they said, we're looking for a cleaner. She said, I'm looking for a job. And they said, well, we'd really like a Christian as a cleaner because you see everything and we like you to be praying while you're cleaning. And uh, she said, well, 
I'm, I'm looking to become a Christian. How do I find Jesus? She came into the house unsaved. She left saved. You know, just in that. And so she's got a job and she's going to get baptised in a couple of weeks' time. And the, the other thing was, what the, uh, the, the secretary said to the pastor, he said, have you been putting money into the, into the account, church account that we don't know about? And he said, no. He says, I haven't put anything in. Well, she said, somebody has. Well, he says, how much? She said, $60,000. And it's anonymous. I'm hearing stories like that or similar stories from all over the world where people all of a sudden are getting saved. They're getting their needs met before they even tell anybody that they've got any needs. It's just... I'm praying for open heavens. I'm praying for open heavens over Kingborough especially because this is where God has placed us, over this church. And open heavens to me is that God starts to meet all the needs of the people before they verbalize it to anybody else. They have prayed it to God in their secret place, in their prayer place, but God starts to reward them openly and then all of a sudden people have testimonies that people say, where did you get that testimony? It's all God. Open heavens for finances, open heavens for people getting saved, open heavens for families being added to the local church. This is something that Susie and me pray for every day. Every day we are praying for those things and we are expecting God to come through in amazing ways, even beyond what we can ask or think about. Because that's the way our God works. Countries overseas breaking through in times of fresh oil and Holy Spirit revival. He says he led them out this scene again when he had spoken these things while they beheld and the cloud received him out of their sight. He's going to come back on the clouds of heaven. The clouds received him out of sight as he was going up. He's going to come back with the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him. So much for a secret rapture. Every eye will see him. And we know that, you know, what happens here. Like I, I, I used to tell Christians in, in America and Canada that we meet the Lord before they do because we're 16 hours ahead of their time. <laughs> and they say, is that in the Bible? I said, oh, yeah. And then I say, no, I'm just pulling your leg, you know, so... And they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up. Can you imagine? Just imagine you're standing there, you're talking with him, he's praying over you and blessing you, and with the, you know, how you open your one eye to see what's happening while you're praying sometimes, all of a sudden you see his feet leaving the ground, and I guarantee both eyes would be open at that, at that point. And you see him rise and rise and rise and rise and all of a sudden the cloud obscures him and he's gone. And they, they just keep looking up. They can't see him but they just keep looking up. What are they expecting for him to fall back through the, through the cloud? I don't know. But the, and then all of a sudden two men stood by them in white apparel who said, you men of Galilee... 
Why do you stand gazing up to heaven? And, I, you know, I, I think, of course they're looking up. Their saviour has just gone, you know, like, of course they're looking. And then they say something really, really serious. The same Jesus, the same one, not another one, the same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven shall come again in like manner. So it was already prophesied then. When we look in Acts chapter 1, we find in verse 7 that with the clouds he's going to come and he's going to come to take us home. In the same manner or in the like manner you have seen him go, we will, and we need to answer these questions today. Where is Jesus? Let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that your word is so full. Lord, as we continue to read, as we continue to search, we find new things continually. And Lord, we're just so blessed to have your word to us. And Lord, not only that, you have the Holy Spirit that's been poured out into our lives. Lord, to help us understand. Lord, to help us when we read, to help us answer questions, Lord, that we haven't got answers to momentarily. But Lord, even those areas you, you speak to us, Lord, through your word and through others. So, Father, I pray that I would bring the word with clarity, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, Jesus' ascension was his homecoming. Can you, he left glory, unspeakable glory, to be born in a manger as a little baby, just like you and me. And now he's going back home again. He was coming home to his Father in heaven. Jesus' ascension was the restoration of the glory that he possessed before the creation of the world. He's going back to what he knew he had come from. As John 17, 5 says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. It's not just something that, that was just a, something that just happened all of a sudden. It's something that he knew where he came from. He knew what he was going back to. Jesus longed to be there. He compared himself to a landowner who traveled to a far country and later returned to reward his servants. He was telling stories all the time right throughout the scriptures and really he wasn't just doing it for their behalf. He was also saying, this is what I'm longing for. I want to go back home. After my job here on earth is finished, I want to go back home and be with my father in the glory that I had before I came to earth. Matthew 21, 33 talked about being lifted up. We know initially that came from being lifted up on the cross, but also lifted up from the earth. In John 12, 32, he talked about preparing a place for us. John 14, 3, he announced, I go to my father. He's making all these statements as to what he is going to do in the very near future. A 
Let's read from John chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, read from John chapter 16. I just want to read a couple of verses, verse 5 and 7. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? I think they were just so sad that he said, I'm leaving. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to ask him the next part, where are you going to? And in verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. I bet they were thinking, you know, before he said anything else, well, it's all right for you to say it's your advantage. I can't, I can't see that. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is exalted at the Father's right hand. Peter proclaimed that Jesus is at the right hand of God, exalted. In Philippians 2, 9 to 11, his works on earth are finished. He has done all that the Father told him to do. Every time I read statements like that, I think, what am I leaving out that God's telling me to do? What am I not doing that I should be doing? When am I going to get to that place where I can say with Jesus, all that you've told me I'm doing I desperately want to get to that place. I really do. Then he goes on to say, far above all powers and principalities, every name that is named, he concluded God has highly exalted him. These are powerful scriptures when we meditate on them and look into them and say, wow, just so amazing Jesus, you did everything that the Father asked you to do, exactly. However, in Ephesians 2, I want to read, oh sorry, Ephesians 1, I want to read out of the, uh, out of the message, the four verses from Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe. When we start thinking about this, you know, scientists say that they can't measure how big the heavens of heavens are anymore. They're talking about Millions and millions and billions of light years. That's how big it all is. And Jesus is running all that. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. That gives me comfort when I read that. Because a lot of people think, well, we're, we're, we're doing some good stuff. No, no, no. God... In Christ Jesus is doing some good stuff. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. 
has the final word on everything. At the centre of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That gives us responsibility. And a lot of people say the church has got no authority. That is not true at all. The church has authority. It needs to exercise the authority that's been given to the church because Jesus said, all authority I have given to you. Now go. Not some authority, all. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. It all happens through the church. And we look at our church at the moment, we look at the numbers of people that are here, and we say, well, what influence have we got? We have got an amazing amount of influence. We just need to realise it and act upon it and speak into situations that are not as though they were. And you'll see why I'm saying what I'm saying. Jesus triumphed over. It describes Jesus' victory and power, might and dominion of what I just read. And every sin, Satan, the world, the flesh and death, he rules over all. Jesus' position at the right Father's right hand demonstrates his authority and sovereignty over all. That is over everything, by the way. He is Lord of heaven and earth, the highest authority over all. <clears throat> and you say, you can't possibly mean that. I mean it with all my heart. The Bible means it too. Whatever the Bible says is the highest authority is the highest authority. And everything in the world has to bow to that authority, whether it wants to or not, whether it does so or not, it doesn't make any difference. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and people may say, I don't believe it. It doesn't make a scrap of difference. He is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he has got authority overall because it's been given to him by God the Father. So the second point is, what is Jesus doing? The second question, what kind of ministry is Jesus doing today? Jesus is drawing people. According to John 12, 32, Jesus draws all people to himself. This is his saving ministry. It also says, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. But Jesus has this drawing power as well. And it's actually the Holy Spirit on earth today that is doing that work, drawing people to the Father and to the Son by his power. It's the Holy Spirit that's convicting the world of sin. That's not our job. Quite often I hear people say things and they are trying to convict 
people of sin. It's not their job. The saving ministry of Jesus Christ, he's not dragging people. but magnetically, so to speak, drawing them. From heaven, he is drawing people. This is happening right now in the world through his spirit. He's working through his spirit, his love, his word, and his people here on earth. He is using you and me to draw others to himself by the words that we speak, by the actions that we live by, the things that we encourage other people by, he is drawing people to himself. It's in John 16, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, a lot of people say, well, when I'm dead, it's all over. They know better because the Holy Spirit has been convicting them of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment. They know that there's something. They're trying to say, no, when I die, it's all over. It's not all over. And Jesus is interceding for his people. He's praying for people. He stands between us and the Father. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus who died... More than that, he who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Here we have the devil, what's his name, doing the very opposite, you know, saying, oh, they're really bad, you know, they don't deserve your grace, they don't deserve your mercy. And Jesus is on the other hand, what's his name, saying the blood of Jesus has cleansed them, they are worthy. And this, this is just going on. But in Hebrews chapter 25, he, he lives to make intercession for us. I, I read that and I go, Jesus, you died for the sins of mankind and we need to personalise that sometimes. You died for me. For God so loved the world, he died for Theo, for John. Come on. We need to come to that place that we say he died for me. It's, we put it too far out there and it becomes impersonal. And we need to personalise it. We need to personalise it. Inika, he died for you. For all your sins, sicknesses and diseases, he died for you. We need to come to that place of implicitly believing that because he says it and what he says is truth. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. Oh, you're not worthy. You never do anything right. What makes you think that you can get into heaven and spend eternity with him? Because Jesus... Come on, we need to watch it. We need to make that declaration. Jesus died for me. Not just for the world. He died for me too. 
as the directing head leads and directs the body, Jesus is doing two things for the church. One, Jesus is pouring out the gifts of the Holy Spirit prophesied in Joel chapter 2 and we see the outworking in Acts chapter 2 but it's a continuation. This will continue until we see Jesus face to face, until we're caught up in the air. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men and your young women will will do amazing things. Your, what is it? Young men see visions and old men dream dreams. I'm still seeing visions. <laughs> well, you're, you're only as old as you feel, they say, so I'm working on that all the time. The second point is we are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise our spiritual gifts in relationships. Come on. Everybody has got a gift of the Holy Spirit. No exemptions at all. And I could prove that to you from Scripture. If you look at uh, Romans chapter 12, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, you look at all of those Everybody has a gift and we are to function in that gift as he wills. But he has given us the gift according to our capacity. And everybody's got different capacities. He gave 10 to one, he gave five to another, he gave one to another. And the one wasn't any less worthy than the five and the ten but he didn't use it. He buried it into the ground instead of using it. And Jesus said, the least you could have done was put it in at the bank so I would have got a bit of interest. The least. But his greatest expectation is that we use the gifts that he has given to us. And all of us have these gifts. And by exercising those gifts, we will see growth come to the body of Christ. That's worth a hallelujah, at least, honestly. We will see growth come to the body of Christ if we all use the gift that God has given to us. Jesus is imparting spiritual gifts to believers into other members of the church, all under Christ's direction. Jesus is building his church. And whenever you talk about building, you see progress. Is that correct? If you don't see progress, you say, well, they're not building anything. Look, it's been like that for a year. There's no progress. There's got to be progress. There's got to be evidence in our life that Jesus Christ is building into our life. There's got to be evidence of that. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It's not going to prevail. Whatever we see with our natural eyes, we've got to go back to Scripture and say, okay, what did Jesus say? He said he's building his church. I, I, I don't believe what I see with my natural eyes. 
I'm aware of what I see with my natural eyes, but I don't believe it. I have faith for what he has promised. And he said, I will build my church. Acts chapter 2, 47 describes saved people as being added to the church. That's the Lord, but the Lord's not satisfied with just a few additions. He wants multiplication. Not a sound from the church. Peter preached the message, 3,000 people got saved. Come on, that's, that's not added, that's multiplication. Very shortly after that, 5,000 brethren were added to the church. That's multiplication, that's not adding. It takes a long time to add that number. But it happened in one preach that Peter preached and it happened because of what people saw the disciples doing and living by a, a different standard than what they themselves lived by. And people were getting saved and they saw the miraculous happening and people were going, wow, look, look at that, this is just amazing. Let's have a look at Acts chapter 6. This is what I believe the blueprint that God has for his church. Then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Didn't just multiply, multiplied greatly. In Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Well, they had been really anti. And all of a sudden something changes they start to see things that I hadn't seen before. Jesus is preparing every believer. He's doing something in heaven on our behalf and he wants to work through us here on earth. In John it says that Jesus is preparing a place for you and I. A heavenly home in heaven. When our home is ready, he will call us to heaven. In fact, he will come and escort us to heaven. Wow. That's what he says. You find it in Thessalonians. You find it in, uh, in uh, Revelation. You find it in other parts of the Bible. He will escort us. Wow. How important does he see us? as being very important. Not for us to pat ourselves on the back, just for us to be so grateful the way that he loves us and cares for us. Jesus is sharing his power with us. He expresses in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me that where I am, that they may be there also, that they may behold my glory. Wow. It's almost like he's saying, I want to take you with me and I want you to see what I left in glory to come down to earth 
to die for you. Now I want you to see the glory that I always had before I came to earth. Wow. And we're just going to sit there boggled-eyed. We're going to, wow. God, did you really do all that for me? Did you really do all that for us? The answer is yes. The glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. In Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 it says, where we were seated with him in heavenly places. Not will be. We are now. That means we have a place of authority. Very seldom, I think, we use the authority that he has given to us because we think we might be big-noting ourselves. We are not big-noting ourselves at all. We are declaring what he has given us to the world into situations where the devil is having a field day, we need to speak with authority into those situations in the name of Jesus with the authority that is given to us. Can I hear an amen? Come on, that's really how it is. Are we really doing that? But we need to be doing that because he has seated us with him in heavenly places. In Romans 8, 28 to 30, we where we are glorified in his likeness. It gets even better. In Ephesians 1, 19 to 22, which I read out earlier, not only does Jesus have authority, we also are given authority. And I've said that before, that's not so we can brag about it, so we can use it for his honour and glory. That's what it's all about. His victory is our victory. As he is, so are we in the world. And the first time I read that, I thought, nah. Somebody quoted that to me, it must be wrong. Until I turned to it, and it's in, in 1 John 4, 17, and it actually says that as he is, so are we in the world. All that Jesus has we share with him because he shared it with us. And all that he does, we do with him. So the moment we step into a situation that is clearly demonic and we start to rebuke it in Jesus' name, Jesus is rebuking it with us. But do we really believe that? If we really believe that, we will do it. If we got doubts about it, we won't do it. Bottom line. His new position and ministry in heaven is our ministry and position and ministry on earth. Because of what he has given, all authority has been given unto you. Now go. With that authority, I'm telling you to go. 
With that authority, I'm telling you to pray. With that authority, I'm telling you to release situations that have been bound for a long period of time. Release them in Jesus' name and I'm standing there with you to release it. That's, that's how it is. And until we see that, we're just going to go, well, maybe. Well, if we're double-minded, we, we won't receive anything. James makes that quite clear. If you're double-minded, you're not going to get it. If you're single-minded, and single-mindedness means you be, are believing in Jesus and his word, and you are believing his promises towards you, his son or daughter. We are in him, identified with him. This means victory. I remember uh, Reinhard Bonnke saying, he says, I, I am a minus. And he says, Jesus puts the cross and he says, I go from being a minus to a plus. And that's exactly what's happened to our lives. We were minuses. But when Jesus came into our lives, we became a plus. You by yourself can't do it. You and Christ will overcome every situation. So we are in him, identified with him. This means victory over the world, the flesh and the devil, every circumstance and adversity that we can think of. Let's pray. Father, bring us to that place where we don't just know about it in our head that this is truth, but Lord, we come to that place where we are convinced in our heart that this is truth and we walk it out by experience that this is truth. We speak it out by experience that this is truth, that Jesus Christ has the victory over every situation. And Lord, that we would pray that way, Lord, that we would speak that way, and Father, that your will would be done not only in us, but through us for the betterment of other people, Father. Lord, as we see people in great need, Lord, and you point us to pray for them that we would pray with authority and not pleading hoping in the mighty name of Jesus oh God that we would see Lord those open heavens that we've been talking about and that doesn't mean just in the area of finances he said I will open the heavens for you if we tithe and he said I will pour out for you so much that you can't contain it. But Lord, it's also like that in the whole area. If we fulfill what you tell us to do, you tell us to go out and pray for people, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. You tell us to do all those things. Father, help us to start doing all those things that you tell us to do and then we will experience open heavens. So, Father, help us in that. Lord, you say, try me now in this. Lord, may we try you now in this. Lord, you're not, you're not frightened about us stepping out at all. 
Lord, in, in Mark chapter 16, it says you confirmed these signs through the preaching of the word with signs following. Lord, let us be ones that will preach the words and let us see the signs following. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If anybody has any needs at all this morning, whatever it may be, whether it's in salvation, you've never ever made Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour. If it's in an area of, I have a need, let people stand with you and pray with you to see and to meet that need. Whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, whether it be, uh, you know, like having trouble in your thinking, whatever it is. And a lot of, you know, like somebody said to me one day, when you baptise people, make sure you get their head under, because that's where all the problems lie. <laughs> it's a truthful statement. The devil gets into our mind and it's a lie. Amen. They're lies. God speaks good things into our hearts and into our minds. The devil speaks lies. So if you've got any need at all, we've got people here that will love to stand with you and pray with you. If you haven't got any needs in that area, well, that's great. God has been good to you and you can thank God all the way out the door. You heard what Veronica said this morning. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him as you go out. So if anybody's out there that's not saved and they'll hear you coming out praising God and thanking God, they'll go, boy, they've been to a good place. Isn't that what they say about the pubs? They come out happy and they say, well, they've been to a good place. And that gives you a headache and that's all it gives you. But what God gives you, gives you life and that in all its fullness. So if you've got any needs, please come. Thanks, Inika.